Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 35. It reads this, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is oppressed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2 this morning. In the Black Pew Bible in front of you, that is 857. 857 if you're using one of the Black Pew Bibles in front of you. As I said before, we're at the conclusion of the Christmas songs. Pastor Mark went through the first three, and I have the privilege to bring before you number four, and that would be Simeon's song. So as we start, I want to ask some questions. Christmas, we talk about, is the birth of Jesus. And many of you in this room, raise your hand if you're a parent. Okay, so you've held a baby before. Right? Raise your hand if you're not a parent and you've held a baby before. Right? So uh, many of us in this room have held new babies. Question, what do you do? Interaction, folks. What do you do? Don't drop them. Yes. What? Dribble? I don't think so. They, dro- they drool and dribble, but you're not supposed to dribble the baby. That's not good. Ryder, you probably could. He's round enough. He'll just bounce. But no, don't do that. All right? But what do you do? What do you say when you first hold them in your arms? It's it's interesting as a parent when you give your child, your newborn, to to somebody and they're holding on to them, just the things that you say. Because ordinarily, we're not thinking that through in advance. Okay, I'm going to hold on to Ryder. What am I going to say when I hold him? You, You don't know that until you're holding him and then something just comes out, right? We, we experienced this when we were in the hospital with him for the, the first round of, of seizure stuff that was going on. And we just kept getting passed from nurse to nurse to person to person, finally getting up in the room. And we heard a lot of things. Right? When they saw our, our rider, it was like, oh, he's a chunk. Right? That, that's one of them. Right? There's other things. Oh, he looks so much like mom. Or you hear uh, people say about your child, oh, he looks, has daddy's eyes, has mama's cheeks or smile or daddy's ears or whatever the case may be. You hear all of these things said. My favorite was when we got put into our room the first time. 
the nurse's name was June, and she looks at him, and without even thinking, she's like, well, he's not malnourished. That was my favorite, by, by far. That was my favorite, right? And it's true. I mean, he, he's a big boy, and uh, he, he's getting thinner, thankfully. A lot of the medications kind of ballooned him even further. But, uh, you know, the things that we say, we don't always think, think it through before we say it. And many of us, myself included, have uttered a lot of things. And after we say it, we're like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that one, right? Wish he could take that back, and it just doesn't work. Sometimes we just don't know what we're going to say. Here in our text today, Simeon was in that position as well, where he had Jesus in his arms. The difference between Simeon and us is he knew exactly what he was going to say. Simeon was a faithful man of God, dedicated to obeying God's word. He was waiting for God to fulfill his promise made back in Isaiah 40, verse 1, 47, verse 18, where he promises to comfort his people. Simeon was an old man filled with the Spirit. He was controlled by God and empowered to serve him. Here in verse 26, we find that God made a promise directly through the Holy Spirit directly to Simeon in which he promised that he would see, that would be Simeon, would see the Messiah before he died, before Simeon would die. So, what do our first words to babies and their parents have to do with Simeon? To set the stage, we find Mary and Joseph here, verse 22, bringing Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem for purification. All right. So if we think about what the context is back in those days, uh, after a, a woman gave birth, she was considered unclean at that moment. right? And, and the baby was, was unclean and given in the law is that in eight days, then the baby boys would be circumcised. And then on day 33, you would bring that child to the temple uh, to, to bring before God and to undergo purification. Mom and dad would, would undergo this purification that needed to take place. Now, it's interesting that it was 33 days. That's an interesting number. Because if you flash forward to 33 years, there was another form of purification that was to come. And we're going to get there in a few minutes. They came to present Jesus to the Lord and to purify themselves. Verse 22, when they came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So those are the two things that brought them to Jerusalem. But one of the things I'd really like us to, to notice in these three verses, 22, 3, and 4, is that it says in verse 22, according to the law. In verse 23, as it is written in the law. And then again in verse uh, 24, according to what it said in the law. Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, 6 through 8, you can find that information. But these are a group of people, or these are parents who are wholly devoted to God and his word. And they are going to obey God in every detail. Day 8, day 33. They didn't get to day 33 and say, oh, well, it's quite a journey. We better leave now because it's going to take a while. No, they knew to leave early enough to get there at the, at the right time. Now, we just went through Christmas. Uh, how many of you traveled to someone's house Traveled at all, right? Maybe you traveled to be here, right? And travel doesn't always work very well, does it? 
Right? You have your plans, and then you know, maybe the airlines cancel flights. Right? You have your plans, and then maybe the, the, the backup on the interstate doesn't uh, jive with your plans, and you are late. Right? Anybody here ever been late? I was sitting here, and I saw 11.01 on that clock, and I was still seeing people come in and door. No names will be named. Right? But it's okay. We're here. These folks, these parents, loved God so much they were going to obey in every detail of their life. And so I just find it interesting as I read through those few verses uh, that it was all because of what the Lord said. And so I evaluate my life and the things that I do, and I, and I sometimes wonder, am I really doing what I am doing because this is what God wants me to do? Getting angry and cranky at the person that just cut me off on the road because as it is written. Right? No, it doesn't say anything. As it is written, you shall be cranky at the person in front of you. It does say in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Right? So, oh, you are forgiven. I know, I know. I'm good, Lord, thank you. Reminding me of the patience that I need. But as we get on to verse 25, we see here uh, the purpose of Jesus' birth. The purpose of Jesus' birth, there are two specific words that we're going to take a look at as it relates to his purpose. And the first one is Jesus was born for salvation. And secondly, uh, Simeon shows us here that Jesus was born for suffering. Those two things. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the man was righteous, devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. This word consolation or comfort, as it told us back in the book of Isaiah. This is what Simeon is waiting for, and now that Mary and Joseph have brought this baby in, he knows who this baby is. He knows who this child is. God himself has communicated to him who this is and what he is to do. So recognizing that this comforter has come, the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. And it had been revealed to him, Simeon, by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death. So here he's recognizing that God promised me something. Hey, and it came true. God kept his word. Is that shocking to anyone in this room? It could be. Hopefully not, because all of Scripture, as we go through it from the beginning to Revelation, God makes promises and has kept every single one of them. Insert amen. Right? As I shared during the, the, Chris, uh, the children's Christmas program, uh, he's promised us many things and has answered every single one of them except one, Right? We're waiting for that other promise. And what's that other promise? What's Jesus going to do? Coming again, second time. What reason do we have to believe that that promise is not going to come true? None, because God has fulfilled every single promise. Again, this isn't some a coworker, friend, family member saying, hey, I promise I'm going to fill in the blank, and sometimes they don't always succeed, and so you wonder, are they really going to make good on their promise? This isn't some human being. This is not a finite individual. It's an infinite God. Verse 
And he came in the spirit into the temple, and the parents brought Jesus in. Here comes Simeon. To do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, this is that moment where Simeon's recognizing God's promise has been fulfilled to him that he was going to see Jesus. And Simeon has this to say in verse 29. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. He's talking of himself, Simeon the servant. God, your promise came true. You were true to your word. And now I, a servant of yours, I can die in peace. According to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Have seen Jesus. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Who's all peoples? As I tell teens all the time, all means all, all the time. So when we say all people, who's this referring to? Everyone. All peoples. Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Jesus came not only to bring salvation to all peoples, he came to be salvation for all peoples. So when Simeon says, I have seen your salvation... It's not like when when we experience and see people accept Christ as their Lord and Savior and say we've seen salvation taking place. No, this is seeing salvation itself, Jesus. Something to which we have not been able to say is true of us just yet, visually speaking. We've seen the effects of Jesus. We've seen effects of of God and, and salvation in our lives, but we've not seen, we've not beheld Jesus just yet. That's the promise that's forthcoming. This idea of all peoples put us uh, back into the historical context again. Uh, back uh, in the time of Abraham, uh, God made a promise to Abraham, right? That he would become a great nation, right? And that the lineage of Jesus would, would go right through Israel. And so Israel was known as God's what? Chosen people, his children. So all of the promises, everything went through Israel. And if you weren't a Jew, you were on the outside, You are an outsider. They use the word in Scripture, or he uses the word Gentile. So if you're not a Jew here today, that makes you a Gentile. right? I am a Gentile. Back in Bible times, I was on the outside as all of this stuff was taking place. All of God's promises. So the Gentiles did not have really anything to live for except the worldly gods that they created. So this understanding that there was a Savior coming, something to to be anticipating, Gentiles had no clue. This was a Jewish thing. That's what they were focusing on. They were looking forward to this. But when Jesus came, he came for all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. What does a light do? Matt, push the off button. Now, I kind of like that because now I don't have the, you know, deer in headlights kind of a thing. And so you can see me because there's still light. I can't make it completely dark in here. All right, But when he hits the service button, what's going to happen? All right, let there be light. And now you can see me much clearer, for better or for worse. Right? Light is used to reveal something. We use light all the time at night. My goodness, especially if you have children and you need to use the restroom or something and you have to pass through the hall or anywhere your kids play, you thank the Lord for light so you don't step on those Legos. Amen. We got an amen and even a clap for that one. That's a parent that stepped on a Lego before, right? 
We should like light, but Scripture tells us that men love the darkness, and we're going to get there in a second. Light is for revealing. So here are the Gentiles not knowing anything about Jesus, not knowing anything about their, their need of a Savior, their sin, anything of the sort. They're just living life. And then here comes Jesus to be light and to reveal to them the good news. Also came for the glory of his own people, Israel, to fulfill the promises that he made to Israel. So yes, Jesus was born for salvation. Simeon goes on. And then this is the part where it kind of takes a weird turn, especially if you're a mom. Right, and you're holding on to your child, and you're you know, conversing with friends, and oh, can I hold him or her? Yeah, and then you kind of hand them over. They're looking, they're saying their gaga goo goos, and saying weird things to your kid. And just imagine if that person starts telling you about your kid, but not just all the good things. Oh, he's gonna be so strong and do this and that and the other thing. Oh, but your your kid's gonna suffer greatly and is gonna die. Think about that, right? Our biblical thinking, I'm just going to say, our worldly thinking in that moment is probably going to take over. You're going to grab your child and probably sock that person in the nose, right? That's the worldliness. Hopefully, we're we're not going to go that far, but certainly, moms, you are in protective mode, like, how dare you? What in the world's going on with you, crazy person, right? Well, let's see what Simeon said. Verse 33, and his father and mother marveled at what was being said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, Mary, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is not very nice-looking imagery right here. And so when I think about somebody saying these things to my wife about my kid or something, I'm not going to like that. But Simeon had a bigger picture than we tend to have in those moments. And in this section, he is saying that Jesus was not only born for salvation, but he was also born for suffering. This is why God has him here, Mary. Simeon's pointing Mary and us forward to the death of Christ as he's welcoming Jesus into the world. Why? Why would we talk about the death of Christ right here at the beginning? This is Christmas. It's the birth of Jesus. He's like a month old. And why, Simeon, are you jumping forward to the end of his life on this earth? Why are we talking about Easter at Christmas? It makes no sense. Does it? In his book, Christmas Playlist, Alistair Begg says, Unless you understand the events of Easter, you'll never grasp the heart of Christmas. Unless you understand the events of Easter, you'll never grasp the heart of Christmas. So as we look into this text, we are seeing Easter right here in Luke chapter 2. Christmas passage, Luke 2. There's where you go, right? And here at the end of the the passage, we get Easter. 
And in this text, it talks about this child. Jesus is appointed for the fall. What's this mean? For, for the judgment of the arrogant. Those that, that uh, suppress Jesus, that deny Jesus. The unbelievers. What's going to happen to those who don't believe in Christ? Don't accept that salvation that he came to bring. What happens? They fall. He also came for the rising. This is salvation for the meek, for the humble. Those that accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He came and he is going to raise them up. He goes on to say that Jesus is going to be a sign that is also opposed This is referencing Jesus' ministry. So from his birth to his death, those 33 years, a lot happened in the middle. right? Maybe you have heard uh, uh, at a funeral people talking about the dash, right? On the tombstone, there's your birth date and then uh, the date in which you, or the year in which you died. And then there's that dash in the middle that kind of represents your entire life, right? And so for uh, a young child who passed away, the dash is very small, right? There's not a lot of life there. Then for Jesus, 33 years, and then think about folks that live even longer. There's a lot of life that has been lived just in that little dash. And if we think about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ himself, a lot has happened in that dash. Namely, the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. He came to bring salvation and be salvation and preach and teach that to all that he came into contact with. We've been going through the book of Mark and we've been seeing uh, Jesus' ministry unfolding as he's going. And in the early going, he kept telling the people he's ministering to to hush. Don't tell anybody about me because the time wasn't right to have the masses come out and just come and see the cool miracles. But he had a specific message to share. That we were sinners in need of cleansing, in need of a Savior, and that Jesus himself was that. And you know what? That's a, a message that is going to be opposed especially by his own people, interestingly enough. We've got uh, these Jewish uh, religious leaders who are so fixated on the law, the lifestyle, doing the do's and not doing the don'ts. And that's how you get to heaven. Jesus came to say, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Raise your hand if you've kept every commandment in the Ten Commandments. There's not a single one of us that's raising our hand. And if you raise your hand, you just broke one of the laws that says, Thou shalt not lie. Many will oppose him. Verse 35, a sword. A sword will pierce through your own soul. Talking to Mary. And the sword is, as you could probably guess, is foretelling uh, his death on the cross, his crucifixion, and also telling Mary of the sorrow in which she was going to experience. I I can't imagine, like I've said before, if somebody came to me and and looked at my my son and told me of the sorrow that I was going to be experienced, at first I wouldn't really believe them, like how would you know kind of a thing. Right. If somebody were to tell us last year in January, February, March about what was coming in October for us with Ryder, I would not have I'd been like, 
okay. Suppose it's possible, but I would have probably not given that much thought. But here he's foretelling the, the crucifixion of Jesus and how Mary was going to feel so that. Why is he doing this? Why is this coming going to happen? Why, why the crucifixion? So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Again, this goes back to Jesus being light. And what does light do? It exposes the darkness. Right? It exposes the darkness. And men, as Scripture tells us, love darkness. And God knows us. He sees us in our sin. Which if you try to take some time to even comprehend and think about that, that in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our rebellion against God, verses like Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 say that, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even though we were lost or dead in our trespasses, and he, he recognizes where we're at, folks. We're filthy. And he has mercy and grace and love for us anyway. Even though we were dead in our trespasses, he made us what, teens? Louder. Alive. Who can guess that that's our theme verse for our youth ministry, right? He made us alive together with Christ, for by grace we have been saved. God knows our thoughts. A Washington, D.C. pastor, council member of the Gospel Coalition and Nine Marks author, his name is Thabiti Anibwile. I had to look up how to pronounce that, by the way. Right? Thabiti Anibwile is his name, and he had this to say. He said that Jesus is a savior you either love or hate. The cross says he loves you. Unbelief and sin says we hate him. But repentance and faith say we love him. For our hate, we deserve and we receive death. For our love, we don't deserve, but we do receive life. Choose life Choose Christ. Believe in him so that you might be saved. There's really only two options. You either love Christ, you accept the free gift of salvation that he came here, was born to this earth for, to then suffer and die and then raise again, or you reject it. Like Alexa does, or I don't know if they've changed it, but I remember back in the day when those talky things, and Julie asked me if I wanted one because I'm a techie guy. I don't want one. There's enough things listening to me in my house, right? But you can say, hey, Alexa, who's Jesus? Now, again, I don't know if they changed this anymore, but, but there was a time where you'd ask that question and it would say, a fictitious character. Oh, my, I was right. So you either accept him or you reject him as fictitious, unreal. Had Pastor Pete read for us Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 30, or 47, which tells us of the crucifixion of Jesus. But Luke's account here isn't so we focus on the gruesome details, 
but rather the deeper spiritual aspect of what's taking place, what Jesus is actually doing. Luke doesn't want the reader, God doesn't want the reader, to get lost in the sorrow and feel bad for Jesus, but rather to follow Jesus. I remember in, was it 2002, 3, 4, whenever The Passion of the Christ came out, right? Anybody watch that movie, seen that before? I'm sitting there in the theater, and I'm either bawling or I am ticked. And I want to reach back into time, and I want to give those soldiers a talking to. Right? I'm infuriated at how they're treating Jesus. And then I have that moment which puts me into a complete puddle. Jesus is doing this and allowing this to happen to himself, enduring it because he wants to, because he loves me. And all of a sudden, I felt like I'm the only person in that theater watching. So this account Luke is giving to us is not like me in that theater, focusing on all of the the beatings that are taking place to get just irate over his treatment, but rather to recognize who Jesus is and why he is doing this. Alistair Begg in in, uh, that same book also gave us three uh, specific points as it relates to this text. And the three things are this, that uh, as you're going through it, you see the dispute over Jesus' clothes taking place, right? Which is is showing us that Jesus, who was brought into this world, he was announced by angels and, and many legions of angels announcing his birth. And then he would go on to be this minister of good news, of great joy for all people. And the thousands and thousands would come to the hills. He'd do all these great signs and miracles and things and had this huge following. And now here he is at the end of his earthly life, reduced to nothing. Usually when you go into a hospital, they take your clothes, give you one of those really annoying gowns, but you get your clothes back when you leave. Not here. They, They just... Took his clothes, everything, because he, he ain't going to need them anymore. So the imagery here is that Jesus has now been reduced to nothing. We also see in the text the darkness during the day. This is a sign, if you remember back in, in the time of the Israelites in Egypt, this was a sign of judgment to come. Remember the plagues? Remember when uh, the, the uh, angel of death, right? comes flying over there, it's darkness all over, and the firstborn is going to die unless you sacrifice, put the blood over the doorposts, right? Well, the picture here is that darkness is coming and is there because judgment is coming. Judgment is actually here, and Jesus is being judged, not for his own sins. What's Jesus being judged for? Look in the mirror, folks. He's being judged for all of our sins, yours included, mine. God turns his back on him. This is indeed a dark day. And thirdly, Alistair brings our attention to this divine vandalism. I kind of like that terminology. Divine vandalism that takes place at the temple. Right? There's this 80-foot tall curtain that's erected there. Separating all of us from what? The Holy of Holies, from God essentially, right? And in the moment that Jesus died and was raised again, that curtain was torn in two. Now, I said it was an 80-foot curtain. This is a thick, heavy-duty, fat-daddy kind of curtain, all right? 
this is not something that you're going to easily tear. Many of us in this room struggle to open up a bag of chips, all right? You're not going to be able to tear this curtain. And here in the midst of this, that curtain is torn in two. Just be in awe of that as it's laying there. But what was the purpose for this curtain even being torn in two? Why? Well, as simple or as difficult as this may seem, it's to open up a doorway. Open up a doorway of reconciliation between us and the Father. Amen. Reconciliation. Putting back together something that once was. And we know from from our studies in Genesis that God created the heavens and earth. He created everything. He looked at it and said it was good. He created mankind and then looked over all creation and said it was very good. Another word we could use is perfect. God created everything from nothing and it was perfect. I've said this before. It was perfect for two chapters. That's as long as we could keep it. Because chapter 3, we, we, we mess the thing up. We sin. And so we rip apart that which was together. God created us to have relationship with him, and that was torn apart. And there was this divide. And that's what this curtain symbolizes, this divide between us and God. And when Jesus died, when he was that lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, in that moment, that divide was gone. It was torn in two, and now we have access to the Father directly. I have here a receipt from Walmart. On this receipt are a bunch of items. Some of the more important items that are on here. Rice checks, three dollars. Milk chocolate chips, $1.74. Jif peanut butter, $5.94. All the fixings for puppy chow, mind you. Right? And, and a slew of other things are, are listed on here. And then I, I look at all the individual items and, and what they cost, and then everybody's favorite number at the bottom. Total due, $125.75. That's a lot of puppy chow. Right, but there's other things on here. But, but, but it's a receipt. It tells me what I'm getting and how much it co- each individual thing costs, and then it gives me a final count at the bottom. And that's what I owe. And if I try to leave the store before taking care of my bill, what happens? Delise is going to track me down. <laughs> Why do I bring that up? Because Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid everything. I think about going through a drive-thru and and, and the food coming out and the person saying, oh yeah, the person in front of you paid for it already. right?" How do you feel about that when that happens, by the way? Oh, well, grateful. Thank you. right? But what if your student loans were paid off? Somebody else took care of that for you. Okay, if you're a parent paying your kid's student loans, you're pretty happy. If you're a student paying your own loans, you're pretty happy. What about your car? It's paid off. Somebody paid for it for you. Your mortgage, right? Your debts are gone. You feel pretty good. Jesus Christ came to pay it all. He paid the price for you and for me. How would you respond to free groceries? 
I'd say, oh, praise God, thank you, Jesus, right? Well, there's a, there's a receipt. And on that receipt, okay, it doesn't look exactly like this, by the way. I'm just uh, giving you an illustration, but on this receipt where all these items are listed, I see Chris Howard, Julie Howard. I see all of your names that have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Actually, I see everybody's name. Everybody's name is on this list. All people. Those who have accepted Christ and those who have not accepted Christ. Your name's right there. And when I go to see how much you cost, every single person has Jesus next to their name. That's how much you cost. That's how much I cost. And I get to the bottom of that receipt to see what the grand total is. And what does it say? It says paid in full. Now Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient for all mankind. It's sufficient for everyone. But it's only efficient for those that accept it. It's only efficient for those that accept it. This is that picture of a Christmas tree with presents under it and your name on it. What good is that present if you don't go and accept it and open it up? I'll tell you in my house, every single present that said Kenzie on it got opened. And every present that didn't say Kenzie on it got opened. There's no way a kid's going to leave a present under a tree with their name on it. But you know what? Wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many are going to find it. There are many presents, folks, that are going to be left under the tree, unopened. Man, that's a shame. Let's not be a part of the reason why it's not open. What am I saying? I'm saying what God said in the Great Commission, that we need to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. History has shown us that Easter and Christmas are the easiest times to do that. That's when people are the most receptive, believe it or not. So the stage is set. If you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know what that feels like and are living in the blessed hope of Jesus Christ. And if not, it's not too late. It's not too late. Receive Jesus Christ today. The tree is still up. Your gift is still there. Come and get it. Open it up and experience the life that God sent Jesus down here to provide you with. Abundant life. It's the greatest gift you'll ever know. Amen. Father God, we thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word the truths that are here for us to unpack and open and read every single day. God, I pray that I would remember this day that we celebrate called Christmas, the birth of your son, and celebrate it every single day. Because the birth of your son leads to the death of your son. That salvation, that suffering that you brought upon him because of your great love with which you loved us. May we never take it lightly. May we never just glaze over it. 
but may we meditate on that. There are so many other things that we give so much time and attention to in this world. And all of that is going to be no more. But your truths, your promises will live forever. And I pray that those that are here that have accepted you would take on the mantle and responsibility that you have given to us to go and tell. And Father, almost even more so, I pray that if there's anyone here today that has not accepted you, they have not recognized their sinful state, their need of a Savior, that today they would do that. They would receive those free groceries, that free meal, that free life of eternal life that you offer. God, it's because of your Son that we are here and have hope. And in his name we pray. Amen. Our God.